Greetings, everyone. This is Jim Emmerich. Welcome to the Joint Cast, interviews across the world with people who wish to share their stories about leadership, where this passion comes from, and the goodness that results. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Our third episode is an interview with Jill Deshay. Jill is an internationally recognized author, speaker, and business advisor. She co-founded Baseline Consulting, a leader in analytics and data management consulting, which was acquired by SAS in 2012. Jill is also a cupcake taste tester. Today we're discussing her book, The New IT. Welcome, Jill. Uh, before we start, how do I pronounce your last name? It's Deshay, D-Y-C-H-E. But, I'm so yeah, glad call me you Jill. helped me with that. We'll, I'll call you Jill, and we know how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for, for our third joint cast. This uh, this is a very welcome interview. It turns out that about 40% of the people who attend our Academy of Leadership Excellence courses are certified project managers, and a great many of them are in the IT field. So when I when I when you sent me your book, I felt as though it was uh, a manual built for a large number of my clients. So uh, I think this is going to be very valuable for for my audience. But before we get into the book, I have to thank you for supporting Autism Speaks Walk, your support of those on the spectrum. Is this a cause you've been involved with in the past? Yeah, actually. Um, and no, it was my pleasure. It's one of my favorite organizations. Um, my prior company, Baseline Consulting, that um, was acquired by SAS, my current company, um, we had this charity uh, mindset, our, our, our corporate, you know, we, we had this saying at baseline, um, let me make sure I get it right, um, profit is a corporate goal but not necessarily a corporate purpose. And so we would have this uh, contest every year where I, you know, one of the cool parts of my job was getting to pick a list of charities every year that our employees would vote on and we would um, then donate a portion of our after-tax profits to that charity every year. And it was so much fun, and we got involved in a range of charities, and uh, one of them was Autism Speaks. So, you know, they're near and dear to my heart at baseline. I've kind of lost touch with them, so it was, it was really fun to see that you were involved with them as well and to, um, you know, participate in that activity. It was fantastic. Well, it's very fun, and as you know now with, with – with, with your generous support, you know that, that our, our son Jack is on the spectrum. So for, for us, it's deeply personal. But, but like Baseline, my, my company, Choink, is meant to also be a profit with purpose organization. And I think it allows for a whole multiplicity of relationships to form to whereby one can be executing a, a good business but also supporting something at the same time in a way I, I, I sort of want to have my cake and eat it too how do how do we find you online how, do, how does someone find Jill uh, you know Twitter is probably the most straightforward because it's my name it's at uh, Jill Deshay D-Y-C-H-E so yeah tweet me and, and speaking of Twitter apparently you are a cupcake taste tester what's that all about and what's your favorite flavor <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, one of my few talents actually, and um, you know I would say that like any cupcake connoisseur, my um, my tastes are seasonal, right? So right now I'm a big uh, pumpkin spice fan as well as a uh, salted caramel fan. So uh, two thumbs up on that one. 
<laughs> super, super. Well, that's that's good to know. <laughs> I guess some people do that with coffee. You do it with cupcakes. Yeah, as as often as I can. Well, let's move on to let's move on to the, the new IT. I had mentioned already that your book reminded me of a, a a very practical working manual, almost something that one could hand off to an assistant that one wanted to groom as a consultant. How did you come to use that approach? Well, that's a huge compliment, and you know, mission accomplished. I, you know, it's interesting because it's my fourth book. And my first three books really focused on business. Um, all three of them were focused on, you know, kind of teaching business people the value of technology kind of thing. And, you know, I had been accused of, you know, not representing the IT side of the house that well. And so as I delved into some of those conversations, I, I realized that IT had its own, not only its own dysfunctions and, you know, in, in this new digital age, it's, it's its own kind of perils, but they had their own success stories as well. And, and, and a lot of times they were underrepresented. So I wanted to write a book for business and IT leaders to show how IT can not only modernize in the new digital age, but, but help a company be competitive. So it sounds, it sounds as though you, maybe you wrote this for both the IT people and the business side of the house, if you will, that they want to connect to, maybe to to, to help the groups yeah. come together, I, I could. Yeah, that, that makes a lot know, of people sense. People are change agents on both sides, right? So, I mean, you know, some of the case studies in there are, you know, uh, executives who don't work in IT but have really driven IT change. Um, you know, often in spite of themselves, but often because of the larger corporate good of technology. So. Um, yeah, it's 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 less about IT organizations and more about putting kind of you know new processes and 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 expanding the boundaries of IT. Does that scratch on the term social contract that that you listed between yeah. IT project managers and lines of business? Totally. You know, it's so funny, Jim, because you know IT sometimes forgets that it is a service to the business and i love you know the you know the social contract issue right because we often find that when there's cynicism around it when there's what barbara tuckman the the sociologist calls the disaffection of constituents um with it it's it's often because um, IT looks at technology for its own sake. And so that social contract is, hey, we're IT. We realize that, you know, one, we're a service to the rest of the business if all is, is working well. But two, we can actually be a mentor to the rest of the business as well. And I think that's what we're seeing in some of the more modern and competitive IT organizations is IT organizations that are out in front of the business in a lot of cases as we kind of embrace this new world of, you know, artificial intelligence and Internet of Things and, and big data. Um, often, you know, business people just don't have the time. You and I were talking about, you know, making time to learn, and it's such precious time. So, you know, IT can really serve a huge, I would argue, transcendent purpose in, in helping people learn um, about what's what's new in the world. And I agree. I like the I like the spectrum or strategic construct you put together. You have a a six IT archetype spectrum ranging from tactical all the way to IT everywhere. Can you can you refine that and certainly walk us through what that transition could look like? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, there's Gartner came out with this kind of idea of two-speed IT. You know, you're either strategic or you're operational, and, and you know, you've got you've to gotta be both. But, you know, I thought that that was an oversimplification. So I, I came out with these six archetypes because those were the archetypes I was seeing in my consulting career, and, and, and now at SAS, you know, when we talk to, to customers about, you know, their dysfunctions and what's working and what's not. And, um, you know, I kind of set this up and I interview executives all the time and, and give them this test in terms of where are you. And, you know, that leads to the, you know, who do you want to be kind of conversation. But, you know, the, the six archetypes are the tactical archetype, which is very operationally focused, the order-taking archetype, which is trying to, you know, get closer to the business and enable the business, the aligning archetype, which is really more of a partnering model, the data provisioning archetype, which really focuses on this new world of data specifically, less about systems and architecture, more about data as the business starts to own more IT itself. Um, type five is the brokering archetype where IT functions as more of a kind of band leader and, and less of a delivery capability. And then IT everywhere, which is the last archetype, which is essentially there is no formal IT organization. It's really a set of loosely linked processes and systems. And so it's, you know, it's not as much of a maturity model, but more of a cultural statement. And I find that uh, most executives would claim that they're somewhere in a hybrid of order-taking and aligning. Uh, in other words, you know, we're closer to the business than we've been. We realize that we need to enable the business for our own success. We're measuring ourselves differently, but there's still that legacy culture, often because of legacy systems, by the way, but there's still that legacy culture of, you know, tell us what we what you need and we'll build it for you. So it's been really interesting to talk to people uh, and, and hear about, you know, which, which habits are entrenched to, to, to make them who they are and then looking into the future where they want to be. I, I like that model quite a bit, and, and I agree it's definitely uh, more sophisticated than, than a binary approach, say strategic yeah. versus tactical or the reference that you made. Uh, much of much of the leadership facilitation that that our, our group Academy Leadership tends to work on is is helping people grow from managers to leaders. And on on page twenty six, you you put five common justifications that that come up all the time for essentially things not happening. Uh, they don't give me the authority um, in order to build things. I have to I have to break things and. Uh, when they hired me, which which of which of those tends to be the the strongest one or the most difficult one for individuals to overcome? You know, it's it's such a great question, and you know, I mean, you you always have to look at you know, and, and you know this, and you and you and you preach it. You know, you always have to look at you know corporate leadership, um, and I, I think there's a correlation between the depth of understanding of CEOs and their peers uh, around the potential of technology to drive business success and 
uh, the effectiveness of IT leaders. And so, you know, when, when you, we look at phenomena like, you know, they don't give me the authority, I mean, that's a, that's a testimonial to the maturity of, you know, the, the CIO's boss, essentially. Um, and, you know, in order to build new things, I mean, I love the, you know, I, I, I need to destroy things. I talked to a, a CIO of a major pharmaceutical company and they they wanted to promote him to a chief digital officer and, you know, give him even more responsibility that, you know, kind of had its tentacles out into the business. And he turned the job down initially because he said, I can't do what I would need to do in this organization. It would be too disruptive. And the organization doesn't have the appetite for disruption to be the chief digital officer. And so that actually sparked a conversation of what really needed to be done and what needed to change. And finally, this guy actually did take that role with the CIO reporting to him um, and, and was, was hugely successful because I think he had to do the missionary work to teach leadership um, about the changes that really needed to be made. Sounds like, sounds like that was some, some incredible feedback to the organization, not just, not just accepting what could have been a paper title. Exactly right. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, um, you know, companies aren't used to the answer. No, you know, no, I'm not going to take that job because I'm not going to not only am I not going to set myself up to fail, I'm not going to set the company up to fail. You know, and when I was a consultant, we had what what we used to call the I love you, but I have to kill you conversation, <laughs> you know, which is basically um, you're not going to like this, but we owe it to you to say it. You know, here's what's broken. I really, I really want to encourage people, not if, but when they they get your book, to challenge themselves, especially for those who who may not have reached uh, senior ranks in an organization, to challenge themselves and see how much of this is self-imposed. There's there's a local, and I mean local to to, to Florida where I, where I am today, client where. They're in a large, uh, a mid-sized organization where a lot of data and analytics are being generated. The president has communicated to people on the IT staff that w- that they're a discriminator for the future. Yet I just had someone in a leadership class who had a revelation only about a month ago that he was in a classical um, internally focused data hoarding, uh, analytics hoarding mode, and only he only released that. So the charter was there. But in his case, he was still doing things the old way, if you will. So let me let me throw a fun question at you. Where does your affinity for rock music come from? Because you've got these wonderful openings to each of your chapters, and and it really made me feel like I was getting to know you that you were sharing that. Where did where does that come from? Oh, that's so funny. You know, I paid royalties for each one of those. I mean, it's so interesting. Just that was a lesson. My my little rock lyrics in the front of each chapter was a, a lesson in in you know the legal in the music industry in and of itself. But you know, you always learn so much writing a book. But I would say that my affinity for rock music comes from a youthful tendency to rebel against authority, which has, I think, a lot of my colleagues would say, has evolved into an adult tendency to question it right so um yeah i uh yeah i go way back with classic rock and a little bit of grunge and uh it's amazing how when you actually you know listen to your yourself singing the lyrics in the car how many of those lyrics actually apply to business 
I I I I, sh- I think I, I I'm I'm guilty of uh, a bit of the same. Certainly the 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 prior rebellion. That that's probably that's probably what, what led me to to join the military. But that's another story. Back to the back to the individual IT leader. You you mentioned that they should consider three new decision levers that drive change: operation, connection, and innovation. Uh, how did you reach that conclusion? You know, um, you know, again, when I was a consultant and even now, you know, when I when I start to speak truth to power, which is essentially what we owe our clients anyway, um, and, and tell them, you know, what to focus on in terms of, of fixing and improvements and, and in some ways leapfrogging the competition, um, those three areas are, you know, the, 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 the places that break, right? And so those are, you know, where we want to heal. You know, this, you know, operations, you know, is, is something that everybody would consider a core competency among IT leaders, but it's really not, particularly in, in, in these days where, um, you know, everybody's got a legacy system under their desktop, right? So there's, there's this lack of control. And then, you know, connections is, uh, you know, a multidimensional term. It can mean everything from connecting systems to, you know, connecting people to connecting organizations to connecting the company outside itself. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, new ways to cast the proverbial net. And, you know, the, the, the more broken those connections are, um, the harder it is to stay competitive. And then innovation really um, is, in a lot of ways, it's become a drinking game, but it's fascinating because you ask, you know, C-level leaders, and, and you've seen this too, where, you know, do you want to be innovative? Um, yes, we absolutely want to be innovative. You know, we want to drive innovation and we want to enculturate it. Are you innovative today? No. Why not? Because we don't know where to start. So it's fascinating that, you know, the intent is there, you know, the, you know, the, the spirit is willing. But um, again, you know, it's kind of back to that cultural conversation where, you know, Peter Drucker said culture eats strategy for breakfast. I, I think culture eats everything for breakfast. And so it's, it's actually fascinating to hear um, why executives can't seem to, you know, kind of foster innovation in their organizations, you know, and, it, and they understand that it's a bigger deal than, you know, getting a bunch of smart guys in a room. Um, and so that's another place where things are, are broken, sometimes even before they really begin. I like I like that focus on on culture. And certainly Drucker's quote is, has been one that I've I've used before. You went deeper later in the book. You 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 gave us the term holacracy on, on page 211 and reminding us both of Conscious Capitalism, a book I read years ago, and you know, and John Mackey from Whole Foods. But tell us what holacracy yeah. means to you, given, given this, this depth of experience you have with many organizations. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's there's a pendulum when it comes to kind of organizational structures, right? And and you know, we we've seen the time of of amazing levels of hierarchy and and certainly that still exists in organizations. And then I think that um Tony Shea, the uh, the CEO of Zappos.com was one of the pioneers of this idea that, you know, we could have a horizontal organization if we trust our people. And so, you know, maybe we don't have uh, a huge management structure and maybe we don't have formal titles and maybe we'd never published org charts again. But if we have good people, 
you know, that should all be taken care of. And I, I think the reality is, you know, the pendulum is swinging someplace in the middle, um, only because there's a natural tendency um, to look to leadership, to drive vision and strategy. Not everybody's doing that. Um, so there's, you know, but there's also kind of this, um, you know, let's get naked and party kind of culture that everybody thinks is happening out there that really is not, right? There, You know, if we're measuring people correctly, um, I would say there's a correlation between solid measurement processes and the ability of an organization to lose some of its hierarchy structure. So it's about empowering people, but also making sure, and I think this is really symptomatic of a of a, a functioning culture, is making sure everybody understands what success looks like. It's a great point, and I'm glad you I'm glad you touched on the accountability part of that because it it seems, at least what's in print, where we find out that an organization might have. Uh, free breakfast or things catered or a foosball table and it's <laughs> it's not just it's not just to make it fun it's it's to make it more effective exactly exactly and you know what's also interesting is this whole concept of diversity on teams and what we're finding there was this great um new york times article published i think a year ago or so that, that talks about neurodiversity. So irrespective of, of, of gender or, or anything, you know, people who think differently coming together on a team um, make that team much more effective. And so um, it's not so much about, you know, hiring people with similar backgrounds to do, you know, a set of, of you know, rudimentary tasks. It's, it's really about, you know, cultivating that variety, uh, which in turn, according to this New York Times article, um, and I'll, I'll look up the name of that article because I really recommend it, which in turn fosters trust, which is, uh, as you know, you know, one of the um, precursors of a, a truly high performance team is the fact that the team members actually have a level of trust. So um, it's called what Google learned from its quest to build the perfect team. Um, and it was in the New York Times back in 2016. Um, and it's just a fascinating read on um you know, assumptions we make about effective teams and how they're structured versus the reality of, of teams that work together well. That's a that's a great reference, and I, I'm sure that you and I are both going to end up putting that on Twitter as well to make sure we, we, we let people know about it. So what happens... Great reminder. What happens, Jill, to, you know... Uh, you know the mid-level IT person who who maybe is getting a little inspiration from from your fine words. What happens when they learn all these things that you've shared in the new IT? What what's what's going to happen with their arc? You know it's interesting because um, you know I've seen I've seen a few responses to the book. One is among exactly those people that the the mid-level IT manager who you know, on the best of days, reads the book and feels newly empowered to have business conversations and to renew some outreach in a different way. Um, you know, I, I, I have this phrase someplace in the book, you know, ask what's the need, pain, or problem we need to help you solve. And if a business person has answers to that question, you know, IT can actually start to to reprioritize and, and you know, be seen as as driving value again. You know, the, the other response that's been interesting is that um, business people who read the book come and say, you know, I, I don't have to wait for IT for a lot of this stuff. You know, we've got new budget. 
um, you know, I can look at IT as a service and figure out what they do well and exploit that. But at the same time, I have fewer excuses than ever, and I can't let IT be one of them. So, you know, what can I do with technology to make my department and in turn my company um, you know, more profitable and competitive. So, you know, that's been another interesting uh, and unintended outcome is business people feel that they have a new kind of permission to make things happen with technology that they may not have thought of before. You know, and just just like your bridging comments before, this is a book not just for the IT professional. It's it's a book for, for the professional who, who's looking ahead on behalf of the organization. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And and I you know I I think if you look at some of the uh, case studies in the book, um, you know that Michael Smiths of the world who you know have a, a huge business background. You know he comes from Nike and you know um, in the CPG world. Um, you know and, and it was at Mylan Pharmaceuticals. Um, these are the people who are you know really. Um, you know, breaking technology into pieces and putting it back together again for the benefit of their companies. And so we need more change agents like that on both sides. Agreed. So let's start uh, winding this down with a little, a little bit more uh, maybe fun questions. Looking ahead, okay. what projects are you working on that, that you can tell this audience about? Yeah. One of – I'm – you know, I've got two focus areas right now. One of them is innovation, um, and we talked a little bit about that before, but, you know, I'll just conclude that with saying, you know, um, executives really want to understand what innovation looks like within their cultures. I mean, they've read the innovation books, and they, they know what it, it, it means, and they, they, they can recite the definitions, but, but how will it be deployed in, in, in a sustainable way within their particular cultures? And so that's something that I've been writing and talking about a lot. Uh, the other thing, which, you know, it kind of comes full circle back to our mutual love for Autism Speaks, among others, um, is data for good. Um, there's this huge trend of corporate social responsibility, and it's not limited to the big companies of the world. I work for the largest privately held software company in the world right now, and um, certainly we are renowned for our corporate giving, but just like your company and just like my old you know, consulting company, we were 50 people, and, and we were doing um, you know, corporate social responsibility and, and, and giving and corporate goodwill before it was even a thing. Um, and so what I'm focused on now is, is how to use data for some of that kind of thing. How do, how do we actually leverage information about our customers and our communities to, uh, you know, you know, serve the greater good? And, and, um, I would argue that we, we can't do that as effectively without, um, as much information as we can get. Well, I, I really, I really like that, that, that latter part. It, if nothing else, selfishly, Jill, you've 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 certainly given me a thread for for our continued networking. In in that, um, when I read, I think it was the Purpose Driven Economy. I think I read that last year also, and that's a hopefully another forth, forthcoming joint cast. I became convinced that whether you're a, a five person organization, a fifty or a hundred, that's 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 a wave that's already occurring to me. It was whether or not I wanted to, to participate in it. That was uh, the way I looked at that. This has been a fantastic third joint cast, Jill, and I, I want to let you know how much I've, I've appreciated this. I also uh, believe that for the audience, please consider Jill someone 
to add to your network that's exactly the way we met and you're you're in person or over over the audio just as you are online the the real thing and uh, fully on th authentic thank you so much uh, back at you Jim thanks so much I'll be watching on iTunes cheers thank you for listening today make sure to follow us on Twitter hashtag choink C H O I N Q U E and visit www.choink.com to sign up for an upcoming leadership excellence course and to support one of our worthy causes such as Autism Speaks Walk.